You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. If you've got your Bible, you want to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 3. We are in our balmy... Bible stories, balmy as in slightly mad, not as in it's a little overly warm. Balmy, because you've got to be careful with a Northern accent with that kind of word, balmy. Balmy Bible stories. And, and we're talking about a guy called Ehud today. This is amongst my favourite Bible stories. It's up there with the lady Jael who uses a tent peg in a very original way, not involving a tent. But we'll leave that one. That's not today. We're not doing that one today. Um, Ehud. But Ehud, do you understand the story of Ehud? L- let me tell you a little, bit, a little bit about me, right? I don't love DIY. Right? Now, I know some people, you love it. Like I meet these people, male and female, I meet you, and you tell me that this is how you relax. That's how I feel. I'm I'm amazed by you and then think perhaps we should be friends. You could relax a lot at my house. Um, So this week I was doing a job. I wasn't doing a job for Julie, my wife. I was doing a job for us. That is a top marriage tip there, fellas. Right there. I was doing a job for us in our house. A job that I had never noticed needed doing. Anybody else ever find themselves getting a job given to them that they had never noticed was even a job? Come on, it's confession time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Stunningly, there was not a female hand raised in the entire room. If you're online, just type yes in the chat. Um, So I I did this job because it needed doing and I was now aware of this job via the medium of the list. For those of you new to marriage, the list is coming. The list appears usually on the side in the kitchen where there is the potential of food. It lures you in like possibly this is a list of food that is available and you get there and you discover it's jobs. So I, I, I did this job and, 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 and we got to the end of the job and, 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 and something happened. Something happened. I didn't quite finish it. No, 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 no. Not on purpose. I mean, I have done that before. But not this time. Just we, we didn't have the last piece of material I needed to complete the job. And I kind of walked away from it knowing that I got to get this last piece. And so I, it'll get done soon. Because if it doesn't get done soon, I stop noticing. 
Now, I have discovered this week that this is a psychological phenomenon. It's a real thing. This is not me. My wife is somewhere over here. This is not me. This is psychological. It's called inattentive blindness. It's a real thing. Apparently, most men suffer with it. That after something has been there for long enough, you no longer notice it. Or you just, it becomes what was conscious becomes subconscious. What was conspicuous becomes inconspicuous. What caught your attention just becomes part of the landscape. Inattentive blindness. The story of Ehud is about a people who developed inattentive blindness about their entire nation. They failed to see the thing that had once happened that they had chosen to live with had got so normalised and so rationalised that they put up with it. In fact, they did more than put up with it. So let's read Ehud. Ehud, Judges chapter Three, if you've never read the book of Judges, it's a brilliant book. Loads of just brilliant moments of stories. It's the transition from the entering the promised land after Moses and Joshua, and then you get the book of Judges, and then you get into the stories of the kings of Israel. And the Judges were the leaders who had to step up because there was no other leader who would step up. Ehud is the second of the Judges that we read about. And it starts with this, and there's a pattern to these stories. Are you ready? Judges chapter 3 and verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and they took possession of the city of Palms as Jericho. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. 18 years. After 18 years, I have no piece of DIY that's lasted that long. 18, because we moved out. 18 years. <laughs> Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moses. Oh, sorry, king of Moab. Let me just make a statement. They're, they're giving money to the man who conquered them so that they can keep living in the place that God gave them. We'll come back to that. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, about a foot and a half. He strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing and he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. I'm just reading the Bible. He was a very fat man, okay? After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. Upon reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us, and they all left. Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, interesting, isn't it? This pagan king, on hearing God had a message from him, rose from his seat. Why do we stand up when we're responding in preaching? 
Maybe it's because we feel God saying something and our physical response is appropriate for the power of the Word of God. Thank you. It was that good. That's the first time any of you have heard that defended in the Bible and now you're having to think about what you do during a service. Here we go. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. If you've never read this bit of the Bible before, go home, read Judges, it gets better. And the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch, he shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. And after he had gone, I'm sorry about this, but this is just the Bible. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. And they said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. And they waited to the point of embarrassment. Which, you know, if it's a fella and he's got a book or his phone, that could be a long time, right? But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. And there they saw their Lord fallen to the floor dead. And while they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images. So the first time he got to the stone images, he turned back. The second time he passed by the stone images, escaped to Sarah. And when he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered. The Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down, took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab and they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. And that day, Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. Whoa, okay. 80 years, 18 years. They lived with something for 18 years. They got invaded. This is God's people in the land that God has promised them living in the land that they have fought for, that they have warred for. This is where Joshua came in. Uh, this is where they have, fought, they have fought monsters and they have fought giants and they have pushed through and they have seen breakthrough. And some Moabites come and they come because God, and, and you've got to just work your way through this a little bit, has said, I want you to focus on me, but you're not focused on me. And when we don't get focused on God, there are times in our lives that things happen for the pure purpose of our focus. So God gets them focused back on Him, but it takes them 18 years of pain to decide to cry out to God. Why, why do we do these things? I think, first of all, when things like this happen, we just feel broken. When crisis comes and it's so bad that we're talking about your whole life being changed, it takes you a while and you feel broken at first. I think secondly, you then go into what we call survival mode. You ever been there? Well, you just, I've just got to get through the day. I've got to get through the day. I can get through today. I can get through tomorrow. But I, I can't see much more beyond me than the next day or a couple of days after. And survival mode is fine for a season, but it's not what you're designed for. And some of you find yourself today in survival mode because of the way that life has hit you very recently. That's okay. But you're not designed to live there. You can't keep going, just surviving. Something's got to shift. It's not who you're called to be. It's not what you're designed for. It's just what you're going through. 
Survival is about circumstance and God has not built you to live on your circumstance. Listen, I'm, help me, help me. This is the thing they did now. They then adapted to what had happened to them. This is just the way it is. It's not our fault this happened to us. It was the generation before us. They set us up this way. This is just the way it is. And then they normalised it. Inattentive blindness kicked in. Well, we've got a Moabite king. Okay, we've got a Moabite king. And we've got to pay him off. And This is what we live with. This is how it is. We have got to make some decisions about how we're called to live. That those things that limit us, that slow us down, those things that we have no longer given attention to because we have just accepted them as being our lot in life, we've got to make an active decision to go, that's not what God called me to be. That's not who God called me to be. That's not where He called me to live. I'm going to do something about this and not get stuck with it. And it begins with that little phrase, they cried out to the Lord. And stop waiting for someone else to be the deliverer. Because we all like it when someone else comes in and does the DIY. You've got to rise, I feel like I'm getting myself in DIY difficulty, but you've got to rise up and deal with some of these things yourself. Where we say, Lord, if you're calling me to be this, then you've got to call me to break this. If you're calling me to be a man of integrity, then you've got to help me break my lying. Now, if you're calling me to be a man of generosity, then you've got to help me break my greed. Now, if you're calling me to be a woman who shows empathy and care, then you've got to stop me judging people in my mind. Lord, if you're calling me to do that, and all of these things, if it's in the physical, in what you've learned to live with with your body, that you've just gone, this is how it is and this is what I've got to live with. And the Lord's saying, do you know, I, do, I would love to heal you but you've got to partner with me in this. Because God just doesn't impose His will upon us. He invites us to join Him in it. If we come along and we say, that's just the way our family is. Everybody in our family's got divorced and you know, at some point I'm sure that'll happen to me. Come on, get a different declaration about your life. Get a different statement inside of you. Get a different set of belief that makes the declaration, He is God. He is the one who rules and reigns. We're not gonna live in the circumstances that our fathers and mothers imposed upon us. We're gonna live in a place of freedom because that's where we were always supposed to live. Okay, I gotta get into this. I got 52 points in 17 minutes. Here we go. How'd you start dealing with this? Number one, it's time to recognise what's been rationalised. You gotta recognise what's become rationalised in your life. There's someone that you love that's away from the Lord and you don't do much about it, you've rationalised it. And we often push it into one day, God knows, He'll work and He'll move. We've got to recognise what's been rationalised. We've got to recognise that our physical limitations, we rationalise them, that our mental health, we rationalise. Not that we have got it, but that we have to stay with it. 
We recognise we've got it. We don't then have to rationalise these things away. We've got to stop rationalising the limitations that we find in our workplaces. Some of you have moved to the UK. You've come with all this set of skills, but, but, but a, a piece of paper from a university at a different level to the one you once had stops you becoming who you should have been. You've got to stop rationalising that away and saying that's just the situation I now find myself in. You've got to recognise that you can overcome that, that you can find a way around that, that you can push through that. You've got to realise that that's what God's asking of you. There's a shift that happens when we begin to recognise what's been rationalised. They are paying tribute. They are paying tribute to the Moabites to live in the land that God gave them by promise and they fought for and won. Sometimes we find ourselves paying for things that we should never have been paying for in the first place. We're paying for things that God says, I've given you that. I've given you that. You, you, get, caught in a, in, you get caught in activity that you should have been free from that God has paid for. He's paid for your freedom from it. But you get, keep getting caught back in the activity. Some of you are dealing with pornography. You're getting caught back in the activity and paying for an activity that God has set you free from. But because you're not living in the freedom, you're paying the price of it. Some of you are paying the price of, of, of a low-end job that you should not be in because your skills are way beyond that. But you've rationalised it away. And God's going, I've got more for you than that. Your thinking ability is beyond that. Just because the education system didn't work for the way you think, doesn't mean the way you think doesn't make you intelligent. You gotta find a way around those things. And I said, that's not who I am. So we learn to live with it. Finance, health, our job, our personal insecurities. We live with them when God's telling us to live free from them. I keep paying my personal insecurities to keep me insecure. And I've got to start with holding that payment. Got to recognise what's been rationalised and then this is what you've got to do. You've got to prepare for victory. Robert Schuller said this, spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. That's brilliant. Man, that, that, that's helpful. Because we all like the spectacular achievement. The moment, you know, you see someone and someone says they were overnight success. No one's ever an overnight success. People have usually worked years to become an overnight success. It's just that no one had recognised how good they were until the moment that that happened. But they might have honed and refined their craft and their skills. You've got to prepare for victory. How do you prepare for victory? I'm going to give you four things, okay? Number one, or A, become the unexpected. Become the unexpected. I, when you read this, most of this we read and go, oh. if you were Hebrew and you were reading it in the original Hebrew, it's a comedy. Ehud's a comedy. It's a brilliant comedy. It's a true story, but it's a comedy. And most of the comedy is around plays on words where they talk about things and it's like, if you know what we're talking about, this is funny. If you don't know what we're talking about, it's just this bizarre assassination. Ehud, and it describes him as 
Ehud, the left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. It's a brilliant one-liner that Dave, isn't it? It's brilliant, it's funny, it's totally funny. Let me explain the joke to you. <laughs> Benjamites, one of the tribes of Judah. Benjamin, one of the sons of Israel. Benjamin, who Israel called him, son of my right hand. Oh, Ehud, the left-handed man, son of my right hand. He's unexpected because his title declares him to be one thing, but his preparation shows him to be something completely different. Listen, what you have been called, what has been declared over you, what has been spoken in your life, whatever language has been used to describe and define you, when you come before God, you can seek to prepare and shift and change to become the absolute opposite of whatever has been spoken over you. You don't have to be limited by those things because you can shift something and become these things. Ego, the left-handed man. Son of Gera, the Benjamite. Actually, all the commentators don't believe he was left-handed. Everyone believes he was ambidextrous that he taught himself how to do this so that he could do what God had called him to do. When you get to Judges chapter 20, the Ehud clan of the Benjamites, because they've now named the clan after him, are experts in warfare with both hands. What's happened? One person's breakthrough. Come on, let me try and preach that a little bit better. One person's breakthrough has transformed a whole family, clan and group of people. You've got to recognise that what you're working for, what you're fighting for, what you're shaping right now, you're not just doing this for you. You are doing this to transform the lives of so many other people. Lift up your eyes. When our vision is, what can I do for me? We live small lives. But when we shift our vision in what can we do for Him? So number one, become the unexpected. Number two, you've got to forge the weapon. You've got to forge the weapon. You've got to always remember, we're never fighting people. People are not our war. We're fighting for people. We're never fighting against people. We're always fighting for people. And we're fighting in the spiritual, we're fighting in the supernatural. 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You need two weapons. You need the sword of the Spirit. Man, you need to read the Bible and you need to read the Bible personally and privately. If you only get the Bible when you get to church, you're missing out on the Bible. You're getting snapshots and moments of truth that God wants to pour into your life. You've got to get a hold of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, so that when you're facing something, you have a truth that you hold on to that you can fight. What does it describe Ehud's sword as? It calls it a double-edged blade. In the New Testament, it describes the Word of God as a double-edged sword that can penetrate what? Bone from marrow. So Ehud 
is demonstrating the power of the Word of God by taking the sword and, well, it was a story, wasn't it? We gotta stop and see what is God saying to us here? Get a hold of my Word because it will cut through anything you are facing. Second thing is this, you need to pray. Like you need to pray. I read this week the story of a lady called Monica uh, at the age of 39, having three children, the oldest of whom was 15, her husband died. She became a single mom with three children. Her oldest son went absolutely off the rails, went wild, um, journeyed across Europe partying. She literally had to travel around Europe, tracking him down to find him and to make sure he was okay. It's the only way she could do it. Monica tracks him and tracks him, but all the way she's praying. And all the time she's praying, all the time she's calling on God, she's saying, God, you've got to break it through. Eventually he makes it to Milan. By the time he gets to Milan, having grown up in a Christian home, he, he is so committed to being against Christianity that he becomes a professor of philosophies not philosophy, of philosophies at the university in Milan. His mother tracks him down in Milan and she prays and prays. And then a day comes when he has a revelation moment of Jesus. He comes back to the Lord and finds his mum. We call him Saint Augustine. Monica, his mother, travelled the then Roman Empire to track down her son and she travelled it on the power of prayer. She didn't talk to him in that whole time, but she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. She called him the son of my tears. And he declared, my mother bore me twice, once at birth, and a second time through her prayers at new birth. When we pray, it releases power. Walter Wink said this, history belongs to the intercessors who believed the future into being. Whew. We pray before the event for what God is gonna do in the event and fulfill after the event. How do you win the victory? The word and prayer. But then you win the battle in the upper room before you ever win the battle out at the fords. If you don't win the battle in the upper room, if you don't win the battle in your personal prayer, if you don't win the battle in your personal devotional life, if you don't bring these things to the Lord yourself, why, why are you always looking for someone else to fix it for you? I just talked to someone about that. You probably do, but have you prayed? I need some help and support with this. You, you probably do. But have you gone and won the battle in the upper room first? Like, have you prayed in such a way that you know that you know you're going to see victory? Have you prayed in such a way that you have an absolute ironclad, sure faith that God is going to bring the breakthrough and change things? When we read the story of Ehud and we read about the palace, the layout is very simple. There is a, there is a room that they come in where the king will receive you, an audience chamber. 
Off the side of the audience chamber is a portico where the, the sunlight would come in and just up the steps is the throne room. You've got to get to the upper room. Because if we spend all our time in the audience chamber with everybody else, just telling him how great he is, enjoying his presence, being here with one another, we miss the intimacy of the throne room. Because it's in the intimacy of the throne room that the Father whispers into our hearts. It's in the intimacy of the throne room that we can wrestle with our challenges and our difficulties and we can hear the voice of God speak into them. But we've got to get beyond the audience chamber and up into the throne room because something shifts in the upper room that never shifts in the marketplace. You don't get the marketplace moment till you've been in the upper room. You don't get the breakthrough that changes nations till you've been in that space where you've called and you've prayed and you've believed and you've wept and you've fasted and you've pushed in and you say, God, enough is enough. You see, it's in the upper room where you win the victory. Hebrew humour, part two. Eglon. Sounds, now remember, Eglon's not Hebrew. So he says his name, everybody giggles around him. He has no idea why. Why are people giggling? Eglon. Because <laughs> Eglon sounds like Aglon. And Aglon means rotund. So this overweight king, every time he says his name, every Hebrew goes, <coughs> fat man. Uh, they just rotund. But it also sounds like Eglon, sounds like Aglen. And Aglen means cow. So, that's how I felt when I read that. I, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh. And then I paid a little bit more attention to the Hebrew. Because in the Hebrew, it, it then describes him, when it says he was a very fat man, what it actually said is this. It says, he is the fattest of all the fatlings. <laughs> That's what it actually says. He is Eglon. He is the fattest of all the fatlings. This, <laughs> Jenny loved that, didn't she? Hey, this, this is what that means. He literally translates as this. Eglon, the fattened calf. No, no. You see, victory happens when sacrifice occurs. We go to the upper room because the fattened calf is ready for a sacrifice. That if we want the victory in our lives and in our families and in our breakthroughs, we have got to go to the place where we realise the thing we've been feeding needs feeding no more. Man, the thing that you keep giving to, the thing that you keep letting in, the thing that you keep working with, the thing that you keep allowing, the thing that you keep believing, the thing you keep declaring over yourself, you keep feeding it, you keep paying tribute to it. You keep saying, that's just how it is. That's the way I am, this is what it is. But you gotta choose to say something else. 
I have been forged and I have been prepared and I have prayed and I have found a word so that when I get through the audience chamber, I am going into the upper room and I am gonna kill the very thing that has sought to keep me captive. I am gonna destroy this thing. So when he goes in, and we haven't got time for left and right and where his sword is, all those kind of things. Let me say this, Israel had a history with calves. That when God's people get lost, they go and find themselves a calf to follow. And we have to destroy the thing that we're following that isn't Jesus. What made the change? I'm running out of time. What made the change? You ready? Why did he turn back? He went to a place called Gilgal. Bible says he went there twice in this story. The first time he gets to Gilgal, it says that he turned around and went back and that's when his decision was made. Gilgal's a powerful place in Jewish history. Gilgal is where the people of God first crossed the Jordan. In the middle of the Jordan on dry ground, they picked up 12 stones and they built those stones as a memorial at Gilgal. They built those stones to remind them, this is what God can do. He can stop a river. He can free us from slavery. He can give us a land. This is what God can do. So when he gets to Gilgal and he sees all these idols, he looks beyond the idols and he sees the stones. And he remembers, I don't have to live in the light of the idols. Because before there were any idols, there was a set of stones at Gilgal. And the stones at Gilgal speak of a greater one, a more powerful one, a more awesome one, a one who holds all things in his hands. That, that is the one that Gilgal speaks of. And it's a Gilgal that God said to him, listen, they named it Gilgal because it was said this, that God rolls the reproach off you. Gilgal, to roll off anything that condemns you in your life. Anything that holds you back in your life. God comes to you at Gilgal and He says, hey, I'm just rolling that off you. You don't have to live under that anymore. You don't have to let that hold you down or pin you down. I'm just going to roll it off you. He gets to Gilgal and he thinks to himself, we are living not in the freedom of what's been rolled off us, but that this thing has been rolled onto us. That's not who we're supposed to be. And Gilgal, where they first took the Passover, Gilgal reminds us that there is a lamb and that the Lamb has paid all the price for all of our failure, for all of our sin, for all of our sickness, for all our disease, for all of our brokenness, for all of our infirmity. There is a Lamb that has paid the price. And because the Lamb's paid the price, I don't have to go and pay the price again. I gotta stop paying another time for what Jesus has already paid for. He got to Gilgal and he went, oh, why are we doing this? And he turned around. It sounds simple when you read it and he, he killed Eglon and then he left and he just walked past Gilgal because once you've killed the fat calf, those things have no control over you anymore. And he walked past it. He said, I, I'm not held by that anymore. I'm free from that. And then he did this thing. He went to his people and he blew 
his own trumpet. Because when you get victory and it wasn't you, it was God, it's a great time to blow your own trumpet. It's a great time to make a declaration and just say, hey, you would not believe what I used to be like, but God! You wouldn't believe how I used to struggle and suffer and how I couldn't get a breakthrough and then God showed up in my life. God turned up and He changed me. He transformed me. He turned my life around. He redeemed my marriage. He healed my body. He set my mind free. He changed my finances. He turned it all around. Let me blow my own trumpet for a minute because I trusted Him in the middle of everything that I was going through. We gotta realise we are called to hear God call us and to do what He's called us to do. And everything else in between is stuff to get over. Stuff to push through is stuff to bring change. Let me read one final Scripture and then we're gonna pray. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. The Lord your God wins victory after victory and is always with you. He celebrates and sings because of you and He will refresh your life with His love. I believe this morning, the Lord has identified stuff in your lives that you have given inattentive blindness to. Stuff that you've suddenly realised, I am living with, why am I living with that? Why am I putting up with that? Why am I coping with that? And for some of you this morning, we're gonna take a few moments, we're gonna open the altar and just have that moment where we go, Lord, I'm bringing this thing to the altar to die. I am gonna come to the throne room and I am gonna come and I am gonna kill this thing once and for all and not let it control me. And I'm not gonna keep paying tribute to it and supporting it and allowing it to keep having role in my life. But for some of you, it's coming time, time to come and blow your own trumpet before the Lord and say, Lord, look what you've done. Look how you have worked and set me free. And for some, the Lord wants to roll the reproach off you. Where you're feeling right now, you're feeling like, I, I don't think I could go to the front if you knew what I was like. No, it's because we know what you're like. And we don't even have to know what you're like. You're just human. But if Jesus has come into your life, He's changed everything. And He's gonna roll off you everything that's been said over you. Every statement over here is gonna be set free by an action over here. It is gonna change that. So come on church, stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 